Um, this morning, I have a question for you. How many of you have failed? This is not a trick question. Make sure you raise your hands high. Okay. So you're in good company this morning. We're going to get into this text, and it is about failure. And I think on Father's Day, for those of us who are fathers, we can all kind of say, I have failed in many ways. Um, As we get into, should I stay or should I go in this final week of this series, we're really going to be talking about where is God asking you to take a step and a risk to possibly fail? Where is he asking you to fail in the world's eyes, but succeed in his? So the text that we're looking at this morning is Acts chapter 15. We're in verses 30 through 41. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. If you don't have one, we have one beside you. You can also use your smartphone device or anything like that, and you can jump online, go to Bible.com, and you'll find Acts chapter 15. We're using the New Living Translation. Verse 30, the messengers went at once to Antioch, where they, where they called the general meeting of the believers and delivered the letter. If you remember from the weeks before, they had this whole issue of, do you need to do something for your own salvation? beyond believe in Jesus. And they, for the last almost five weeks, we've been talking about, no, you don't. And this was a controversy, one of the earliest controversies in the church as it had just been formed. And it was whether or not you needed to be circumcised in order to really be a believer. So they finally got their decision and they're bringing this news back to the church in Antioch. So verse 31 And there was great joy throughout the the church that day as they read this encouraging message. I can imagine all the dads were very happy, right? No circumcision for me. We don't have to line up to be a believer. Then Judas and Silas, both being prophets, spoke at length to the believers, encouraging and strengthening their faith. They stayed for a while, and then the believers sent them back to the church in Jerusalem with a blessing of peace. Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch. They and many others taught and preached the word of the Lord there. This is going to be a tangent on this verse because I didn't prepare this in the message, but as I read this, I just want to encourage us as a church, especially as I leave for vacation, this is exactly what Oikos wants to do. So if you notice in this verse, Paul and Barnabas stayed in Antioch, they and many others taught. We have a problem in the church today that sometimes we become celebrity pastors. And that the only time you want to come and listen is when that certain pastor is preaching. I don't want us to be that kind of church. We are a church where God enables many people be able to teach and preach his word, not ours, but his, to his people, not ours, but his. So as we look at that verse, just kind of hold on to that because you will see several different preachers preach over the next four weeks. I won't be gone for four weeks. It would be kind of awesome, but I won't be gone for four weeks. But for the next four weeks, we're going to have a different preacher in here each week, and I want to have you listen closely to what the Lord is saying directly to you through that person at that time. 
So back to the verse. Verse 36, after some time, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord and see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued, to, continued in their work. Their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John and John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then he traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. We've got a picture of Antioch. This just came on. Um, Mike Breen has been going on this journey. He preached here about a couple months ago. And this is a picture of Antioch. Of course, it would have looked differently then because there would actually be something on those columns. But it would have been a colonnade of buildings, a beautiful city, rich, diverse, a city that had power and presence within the Roman Empire. And this is where they had started a church, Paul and Barnabas, and they were excited about what the Lord was doing in this city. But this is also where they had their great separation. And what I see in Scripture is that Luke just makes it very real. This would have been easy for him as a writer of this book to just say, yeah, they kind of had a little issue, Paul and Barnabas. So instead of writing about it, what I'm going to say is Paul went this way and, you know, Barnabas went with this way. But he, his choice of words here are very direct and they're very honest. Because what we do is we believe that God has a story that he has to share. God has a purpose. And though he uses people for those purposes, we don't believe in God because the apostles were perfect. They're real men, real people. We don't believe in the Bible because David was a perfect king. Because he wasn't. In fact, one character after another, no matter how anointed they were from the Lord, we see that they fail. Sometimes, miserably fail. And even Paul, you can go back when his name was Saul and go, oh yeah, he was a failure. But afterwards, sometimes we go, oh, Paul's like this awesome, awesome. Well, you know what? He's a real guy who has feelings and priorities, and he makes choices, and things happen. So Luke just records the truth. Paul and Barnabas had a great argument, not a small one. They got extremely, I kind of see this vision of extremely mad at each other because neither one could see what the other one was trying to say. But they were good friends. I mean, you got to get a picture of Paul and Barnabas, that their friendship had endured many things, some great things. They'd seen and done miracles together. They had seen people who had no faith come into the faith of Christ. They had gone into places like Pamphylia together, a dangerous place. And they saw God do awesome things. This was a good friendship. They had a tight 
bond. Not only had they seen great miracles together, but they had almost been killed together. Now, what makes a better friendship than that? When you're watching each other's back, I mean, sometimes we forget about this, but this is like real historical stuff. This isn't just like some painted story. Paul and Barnabas would go into the city, and we've read this in Acts, and they start getting stoned, and Paul was almost dead, and Barnabas had to pull him out. And then Paul gets up and goes, let's move on. Let's go back into the city. These were good friends. Can you imagine that? Just You're going to go tell people about Jesus, and you, you see your partner in ministry get stoned like he's dead? You pull him out, and then he gets up and goes, let's go back in the city? You have to have trust there. They had started churches together. They had encouraged one another. They challenged one another. They were the best of friends, but they had a problem. So back at verse 36, after some time, Paul sent to Barnabas, let's go back and visit each city where we previously preached the word of the Lord to see how the new believers are doing. Barnabas agreed and wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul disagreed strongly since John Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia and not continued with them in their work. So there's two great friends. They have this great idea. And we've all seen this, right? When you've got a good friend, you have a good idea, and that person gets excited, and then the other person gets excited. I mean, I can already see them go, Okay, so things are going awesome here. Let's now go travel around to all the other places, encourage those believers. Barnabas was like, yeah, Paul, great idea. Let's go do this, right? They're like, okay, we're going to go on a road trip. This is going to be awesome, epic, and cool. They may not have used those words, but that's what I would have been saying. Like, this is going to be awesome. It would have been like Jason and I going, oh, we're going to go do this. We're going to go visit these other places right? We're going to have lots of fun. And Ashley and Sarah would have looked at us like, no, you're not. <laughs> but we'd be like, oh, yeah, it's going to be cool. And then, and then it happens. Barnabas adds into it and goes, let's take John Mark. And Paul goes, no way. No way. Why would Barnabas want to take John Mark? Some of you probably know this. I mean, this is not new material, but for some of you, it may be new material. Barnabas, they believe, was either John Mark's uncle or possibly his cousin. Anyway, it's shaped. He was a relative, a direct relative of John Mark. So either Barnabas was going... John Mark needs to be discipled, and I want to continue discipling him. So I'm going to give him one more chance, one more opportunity, one more invitation. And maybe this time he won't desert us when the going gets rough. Or maybe it was because, he's, you know, John Mark was his cousin or his, his nephew. He's like, he's family, we got to give him this one more chance. 
Or maybe John Mark was constantly without a job, and, he's, and his mom was like, please, just take him with you, you know? Get him out of the house. Give him something to do. We don't really know for sure what was going on with Barnabas and John Mark, except there was a closeness. There was a sense of either obligation or responsibility that Barnabas felt towards John Mark. Because he had to have known, if you're good friends, you know that when you put in something that's going to challenge your friend, he knew, he had to have known, this is conjecture on my part, but he had to have known that Paul was going to say, no way, we're not taking that guy. But he just kind of tried to slide it in, right? Hey, we're going to go on this adventure, and let's take John Mark, right? Either way, Barnabas wanted John Mark with him. And maybe you know someone like John Mark. Or maybe John Mark is you. You need one more chance. You need someone to invest in you. You've failed once or twice or four times. And you have someone like Barnabas who's willing to invest in you. But the other person is going, no way. Paul said no way. He disagreed because we don't know for sure. But Paul was on a mission. And his mission was important. It was a mission that was more important to God than it was to Paul. It was a mission to share the gospel of Jesus, to share that story, to share that Jesus had died and rose again, to share what Jesus had done in his own life, that he had ripped him out of destruction and despair and given him life. That's one of the reasons why Paul sharing the gospel is so powerful. Because he personally experienced what it means to receive grace. And he shared it with all those around him. But on a certain occasion, when John Mark was invited to go with him and Barnabas, and they had to go through this road to Pamphylia, this road was super dangerous. And John Mark said, no way, I'm not going. And I'm kind of guessing that really irritated Paul. That's probably a nice way of saying it. Because Paul, when he was bringing people with him, obviously gave them each something to do. And what they needed to contribute was important. And John Mark just kind of said, sorry, guys, I'm not going there, so you guys figure it out. I'm going to go hang out, drink a margarita, something, but I'm not going to go with you. So either way, Paul said, Mark is not going to go. Maybe he had a personal conflict with John Mark maybe had nothing about him leaving. Maybe he just didn't, his personality didn't get along with John Mark. But whatever it was, he was like, this is not the right guy for the team. 
And you probably know someone like that, whether it's a school project or a work project where you all get together and you're like, we got to get this thing done. And that one particular person is supposed to do this part of the project and they flake. Do you know someone like that? Don't look at them right now. But do you know someone like that? It's awful, right? Because then you have to scramble to make up what they didn't do. What they said, I'll do. In fact, it happens so incredibly. I mean, I don't know if you guys realize this, but it happens in the church all the time. Someone will say, oh, yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it. Or I really want to be involved. And then you'll give them a whole selection of things that they could do. And they'll go, oh, I'll do that one. And then when they actually need to do it, oh, well, just doesn't happen. So John Mark saw, or Paul saw this in John Mark, that his priority was not the gospel. John Mark's priority was John Mark. And in Paul's eyes, John Mark hadn't changed. And there was no way he was going to take John Mark to go visit these churches in a task of discipling and making disciples so that the church could continue to spread throughout the world. It was too great a task to risk on someone whose priority was himself. Verse 39, their disagreement was so sharp that they separated. Barnabas took John Mark with him and sailed for Cyprus. Paul chose Silas, and as he left, the believers entrusted him to the Lord's gracious care. Then they traveled throughout Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches there. That the Greek for so sharp is like massive argument. It's intense. It's not, well, can't believe you're not wanting to take John Mark, so you just go your own way. It was intense, and probably the whole group saw that there was a problem. Because both believed that something should be done with John Mark, but they didn't agree on the same thing. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, wanted to encourage John Mark, and he wanted to continue to disciple him. Paul said he wasn't ready. So should John Mark stay, or should he go? It's an issue that in the church we often don't do very well. Maybe you have seen this before in another church. I hope you don't see it in this church. That when individuals get a job in the church, it's okay to have mediocrity. Because if you say someone isn't doing their job, you're not being, you're not being very graceful. 
So they should be able to keep their job regardless, no matter what goes on. But what we're actually doing is, I believe we're impeding what God wants to do with that person when we're not being honest. Paul wanted to be honest with John Mark. And I believe Barnabas, his heart was totally wanting to be honest with John Mark as well. But what we realize is that even though John Mark goes with Barnabas, he would leave Barnabas too. So he goes with Barnabas, but he kind of piddles out there too. But it was a good thing. It's a good thing he failed with Paul. It's a good thing that he failed with Barnabas. Because we would later find out that John Mark just wasn't probably cut out for church planning. It wasn't his vocation. Now, that's a word that we don't use that much in church or in our normal conversation. We don't even really use it in church that much. But vocation is more about your calling than it is about your job. So for John Mark, he wanted to, or he thought he wanted to be this church planter, but he also didn't want the dangers of it. We can assume. But we also know because he failed and he was told no. Because he was told no. He would go on to spend time with Peter and then write the gospel of Mark. Sometimes when you don't tell someone hey, guess what? You're failing. You're really impeding God to do a work in them. Maybe to clarify their calling. A calling that they should have been doing the whole time, but they were trying to do something else. Vocation is important because it's about calling. Vocation is important because God can call you to be a plumber. He can call you to be a nurse, a teacher, a pastor. But whatever he calls you into, whatever you hear him saying, come and do this and serve my people this way. There's a responsibility that goes with that, that you do it well, but you also represent his kingdom while you do it. It's one way that God, that I see, God getting his gospel in every area of this world. Who's going to share his gospel in the hospitals if the nurses and the doctors who are there don't understand what they're doing is their calling and that it comes directly from the creator and that the creator has a message that he needs to bring to his people, which is that Jesus is their savior. Who's going to share it with the kids in public school if we don't have teachers who say, I'm going to take a risk and I'm going to pray with the student because my calling with God to represent his kingdom is on my heart and today I'm placed here in this school to represent him and I will do my job well. Who's going to share it in those families if you can't embrace your calling as a counselor. 
This is some of the things that we often forget when we are going to look for a job. That maybe we should pause and instead of trying to find the most lucrative job, maybe that shouldn't be the top priority. Maybe the top priority is, is the Lord calling me to be here? Is he revealing some gifts that I have to serve in this area? Am I willing, if he shows me some of my gifts, am I willing to take the sacrifices to maybe go to school for eight years, 12 years, so that I can serve in that area? Because deep, deep in me, I know he's calling me here. The problem with our culture is that we don't do that very well. And as parents, sometimes we forget that as well. We go, go get a job instead of seek the Lord, find your calling, and serve him well. As a dad, I want to make sure I tell my kids, no matter what it is, and you probably have heard me say this before about Breezy and wanting to be a horse trainer. I'm going, I don't know if that's a good idea because you're going to live with us for the rest of your life then. And I'm not sure if that's your calling. But I have to step back and go, who are going, who's the person that will represent God's kingdom in the stables? If it's not my Breezy. And why not? Why not serve and love people by loving and serving horses and representing God's kingdom while she does it? It would be a different world, wouldn't it? I believe that it takes failure for us to really get clarity on what the Lord is saying. And we see that with John Mark, and we see it with others as well. I believe that sometimes the Lord allows us to fail so that we can get on to an undiscovered path that will help us hear his voice. But working in your vocation also takes a lot of faith and trust. Because it means you may have to make a sacrifice or you may have to take a risk to do so. So what would happen if we actually said, we're going to move towards working in our vocations instead of trying to just get a job as we represent God's kingdom? It'd mean that a CEO would be willing to give up their title and their power and their paycheck and instead be a janitor because they know that the Lord has given them an incredible ability to clean and serve places for people. But we would tell that person, you're crazy. It means that a server at McDonald's would be willing to take a risk to maybe go in debt and go to school because God's actually called them to be a CEO. Because they do well at leading people. 
in leading organizations. It means that a doctor would be willing to leave being a doctor, leave his or her practice, and go to seminary to become a pastor. I actually know two guys who did this. Had served faithfully as a doctor, but at some point the Lord changed their calling and said, I now need you to do this. And they took the risk to do it. It means a pastor is willing to resign his call and go serve in another industry because he realizes that his current position is more of a job than it is a vocation. Imagine how much healthier some churches would be if a pastor would say, I want to move towards my vocation rather than my job. For all of you who are waiting for me to resign, it's not going to happen. But I'll tell you, this is what happened with John Mark. He eventually, through failure, found out that his true vocation was probably not planning churches. His true vocation was taking the words of the Holy Spirit and putting it down so that the gospel of Jesus could be shared to millions of people through the gospel of Mark. To take the story that Peter experienced personally and make sure that that story would be revealed to the world. How awesome is that? That sometimes through patience and failure, God reveals what he really wants to do with you. So maybe we need to look at failure in a different way. Instead of being down on ourselves when we fail, maybe we should stop for a minute and reassess and ask, what are you trying to say to me right now, Lord? Maybe you're not pushing me down. Maybe you're actually trying to lift me up. Maybe you're actually in the confusion bringing some clarity. What if I approach failure by looking to God and saying, if you've got everything under control, you will work through this failure in me. Because I still represent you. There's some famous people. Some of these people you haven't heard of. I hadn't heard of them. I just looked them up. But they failed. And through the failure, clarity was given. A guy by Sochiro Hondo, Honda, Hondo, <laughs> Honda. He's a billion-dollar business man that began the famed car company Honda. He began with a series of failures and fortunate turns of luck. Honda was turned down by Toyota Motor Company. This guy was turned down to be one of their engineers because they didn't think he was good enough. So he went without a job. I bet you know some people like that right now. He went out without a job for a time, and he started making scooters, Jason Phelps, at his own home. And he spurred on by his neighbors, finally started his own business. 
started to hear a calling where he could serve people by using the gift that God has given him. Albert Einstein, you guys all know him? We think that he's this brilliant guy, but he didn't always show that kind of promise. Einstein didn't speak until he was four. You know, people like parents freak out about that now, right? And he didn't read until he was seven. You would fire your preschool teacher. He caused his teachers and parents to think he was mentally handicapped, slow and antisocial. Eventually, he was expelled from school and was, and was refused admittance to the Zurich Polytechnic School. It might have taken him a little bit longer, but most people would agree that he did pretty well at the end. He won the Nobel Prize, and he changed how we see physics today. Others' expectations of us don't define who we are. I bet you know someone like that who has been told they're a failure and they're never going to amount to anything. What if we came alongside of them and helped them hear the calling that God had given them? Winston Churchill, he's a Nobel Prize winner as well. He's twice elected Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. He led his country through a great war. People look at him as one of the best leaders of the 20th century. But he wasn't always regarded that well. He struggled in school as well, and he failed in the sixth grade. After school, he faced many years of political failures, and he was defeated in every, catch that, every election for public office until he became prime minister. And he didn't become prime minister until he's 62. You're never too old to live out your vocation. You're never too old to live out your vocation, even if it seems like it's impossible to do. Lucille Ball, Lucy, during her career, Ball had 13 Emmy nominations and four wins. She also had the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Kennedy Center Honors. Before starring in I Love Lucy, Ball was widely regarded as a failed actress and a B movie star. Even her drama instructors didn't feel that she could make it, telling her to try another profession. Of course, she proved them all wrong. Sometimes you'll have many challenges working towards your vocation, and people will say, you suck at it. But what happens if you persevere? What happens if you know you're calling so deep in you that you're willing to take one failure after another, one rejection after another? Because it's not about how much you succeed, it's about what you're doing right now. Emily Dickinson, a great writer, she was, a recluse, she was recluse and a poet. Emily Dickinson is commonly read and she's loved as a writer, yet in her lifetime she was all but ignored, having fewer than 
a dozen poems published out of her almost 1,800 completed works. Sometimes you do your vocation not out of sheer love of it, regardless of the pay or the notoriety that comes with it. What if we operated that way? Can you imagine 1,800 things that you wrote? She'd write one thing after another after another and all be ignored. And now she's regarded as one of the greatest writers. Michael Jordan. No one knows who that guy is, but Michael Jordan. No, just kidding. My wife, this is for my wife. She loves Michael Jordan. Most people wouldn't believe that this man, who's, I still believe, the best basketball player ever to live, he was cut from his high school basketball team. I didn't know this. Think about that. Cut from his high school basketball team. I mean, it made me think, man, what if I was stuck with basketball? Because <laughs> I quit after it hit me in the face and I had braces and I was bleeding all over the place. I thought, this sucks. But he was cut and he didn't quit. Luckily, Jordan didn't let the setback stop him from playing the game. And he stated, I have missed more than 9,000 shots in my career. I have lost almost 300 games. On 26 occasions, I have been entrusted to take the game-winning shot, and I missed. I have failed over and over and over again in my life, and that is why I succeed. Failure can make you better. That's what happened with John Mark, and that's what I believe can happen with us as well. I read in the Houston Chronicle just the other day that there have been about 16,000 job losses here in Houston since January. So I'm guessing that you may know of someone who's lost their job recently. And maybe they are going through some of these same things of feeling like they're a failure or they have no future or they're going to lose everything or they're not worth anything. What if we would walk alongside of those people who kind of lost their identity or are questioning maybe their calling, their vocation? What if we encourage them to just take a moment in this loss, in this failure, to assess their life and to assess it from a God perspective? Maybe it's time for them to listen to his voice. What if we encourage them to ask the Lord to reveal where he wants them to serve? What if we encourage them by reminding them that the Lord still cares about them, still has a purpose for them, and is still walking alongside of them? That's how we can represent his church, his grace, and 16,000 lives who have been disrupted since January. This is our challenge this week. So I hope you have 
You're up for a challenge? It's summertime, I know you're all tired, but you're up for a challenge? So your challenge this week is if you encounter someone or if you know someone who's lost their job, call them up, take them out to coffee, do something, help them assess maybe what the Lord is saying to them. Remind them of his grace and remind them of his purposes in each of us that even in a failure, he can reveal the most clearest picture of where he wants us to be. Jesus died and he rose again for all of us because he believes we are his messengers. We bring his message of peace and hope to people. What would happen if we all loved what we did because we embraced our vocation? Regardless of what the paycheck is, regardless of how many honors we get, we just embrace what the Lord equipped us to do until he would take us home. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time that we got to engage in your word, and I thank you for the story of John Mark. I thank you for Luke and his ability to write your message into the book of Acts and to include details, even arguments, to help us see how we can lead people better. Lord, we ask that you would equip us of the care and the concern of Barnabas, that you would also give us the clear vision of Paul. Lord, we pray that we'll be able to say when someone needs to stay or when they need to go, that we look for your guidance in that. And Lord, when we're the one that's being told that it's time for us to go, that we wouldn't stay in the negative, but we'd allow you to speak into us as we listen for whether you're asking us to be tenacious or persistent or to listen more clearly to a new area of work, of vocation that you may be calling us into. And then, Lord, give us the courage to take the risk, knowing that the, the vocation and the jobs and the things that we do here are just for this time. But if we trust in you and we listen to you, no matter where we go or how we serve, you are with us. And you give us the courage to represent you in whatever, whatever area that may be. So for those of us who want to be doctors, but we're too scared to go to medical school, Lord, I pray that you give us courage. For those of us who are in a high profession of being a CEO or being paid. We love the idea that we've got the comfort of money, but our heart's desire is to start a restaurant and serve people food. Lord, give us the courage and the humility to listen to that call. May we not be so wrapped up into the things that we get from the way, how much we work, that we forget that you've got a place for us to serve you. Help us hear your voice today. In your name we pray. Amen.